Do you believe God? I mean, do you really trust him? Or do you just believe that he exists? Are you passionately pursuing a relationship, a personal relationship with him? Or are you just happy to know that he's over here and I can know of him? We have a privilege of knowing the Almighty and knowing him intimately, daily, personally. It's a privilege we should never let go of and make light of. And yet we do. We get distracted at times. Over the next six or seven weeks, we are going to spend some time going into Scripture and looking at who God is as He encounters man. As the Almighty comes down to interact with mankind, He picks up a pen and He etches on the heart of their soul, this is who I am, the signature of the Almighty. And as they learn of Him, they are transformed for forever. And we have the privilege, because it's recorded in God's Word, what that encounter was and what that name was that they learned of him where his character was forged for them through experience. We're going on an adventure. Let's encounter the living God, not just learn of him. Let's get to know him and believe him. Let's passionately seek after him with everything we have. May we meet our creator and never be the same again. That's the introduction that we have to our God. So as we start today, we're going to be looking at Moses, Exodus chapter 3. So uh, why don't you guys turn there and the ushers, if you guys could just come forward. If you don't have a Bible... We've got some Bibles. We'd love to loan you one. We are going to pour over God's Word today. Exodus chapter 3. So if you just raise your hand, the ushers can get a Bible to you, okay? As you're turning there, I'm going to walk through the story of Moses meeting the great I Am. I'm going to do it in a little bit of a strange fashion. I'm going to walk through it as Moses would have seen it, okay? Moses is writing Exodus. You realize that? This is his story. So let's think of it from his perspective, okay? Here we go. It's a little weird, but that's okay. Just hang on. All right. I remember the day when I first met my creator. I, I still remember how hot the breeze was. We're out in the desert and the wind is blowing and the sand picks up. I will never forget the smell of that burning bush. I'll never forget it. I was walking along with the sheep. I need to explain this a little bit. Yes, I was with the sheep. I know earlier in my life, I had been protected by God Almighty. I was a Hebrew and I was given privilege. I was actually saved by my mother and sent off in a little basket in the water. And I ended up in the Pharaoh's kingdom. 
and I was very high up. I actually had pretty high expectations for myself, to be quite honest. I thought I was going places and going to be able to make an impact for my people. And one day, I was out walking and I saw an Egyptian mistreating one of my, one of my friends. And when everybody disappeared, I walked over and I took the Egyptian and I clocked him. And I, I killed him. That wasn't what was meant. But, so I did what every good Hebrew would do. I took him and I buried him in the sand somewhere and I tried to hide it all. And as I walked along the next day thinking, well, I fixed that problem. I walked over to these Hebrews that were fighting, some brothers of mine, and I said, why are you fighting? And they looked at me and they said, what do you know? You're the one who killed the Egyptian yesterday and buried him as if we don't know what's going on. My heart sank. My stomach twisted in knots. I just realized, if they know, everybody knows. So I took off and I ran. I went from being in Pharaoh's kingdom. And now I'm watching sheep. They're not even my sheep. I'm watching my father-in-law's sheep. God's been good to me. He gave me a wife and kids. But I'm watching my father-in-law's sheep in the desert. Not exactly what I had planned. But at least I'm not going to be killed. So I'm wandering along doing what every good shepherd does. My day was very busy, you have to understand. It looked something like this. And, and that's how it kind of went all day long. As I moved generally this direction, generally collecting the sheep towards this flow, all of a sudden I realized as I was walking that I heard this crackle and pop, you know? Like when you hear a bonfire going, and I could hear the <coughs> as the branches were burning. And I turned and I looked, and I saw it, and I thought, well, something caught on fire. And so I just kept walking with the sheep and trying to keep them in, away from it. And then I noticed it's not getting smaller. The bush is staying the same. So I thought, maybe I should take time out of this busy day. <laughs> and look over here at this wonder, this great sight. And so I start to come over to it. And out of the middle of the bush, Moses. Moses. The bush is talking to me. And the bush knows my name, my personal name. I stopped, and then the bush says to me, take off your sandals. You are on holy ground. I thought I was in the desert, but... So I'm taking off my sandals in the middle of the desert, hot sand and all, and I'm standing there with the hot breeze blowing and the bush crackling and popping, and I'm thinking, what am I doing here. And he says, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. I am God. And as I realized who I was listening to, I turned away. I have no clue. I tell you this. I do not know why I should have had that privilege of meeting him. I've killed someone and run. I'm a shepherd of someone else's sheep in nowhere land. And God has come to me. 
I have no business looking at you. And I turned away. And he said, I want you to know this. I've got a plan. I've heard of the affliction of my people. I know of their pain. I hear their cries. And I'm coming to deliver them. To bring them out from Egypt. And to take them to a land flowing with milk and honey. That's the plan. And I got to tell you, I'm thinking to myself, that sounds like a very nice plan. I actually had a plan like that a little while ago. It ended in the wrong way, and I'm now out here in the desert. Good luck with that. That sounds like a great idea. And then he says, come, I'm sending you to bring them out. And I remember thinking, I thought you just said you were bringing them out. Now you want me to bring them out? I don't understand. So I think I answered something like this. Who am I that you would send me? Who am I? Are you kidding? Come on. I'm watching someone else's sheep in nowhere land. Remember, God? Of course you remember. Who am I? And God says, yeah, true enough. Who are you? So he says, I will be with you. You know, I was really kind of hoping he was going to say, you're a great man. I can lean on you. No, he said, ah, I'll be with you. Kind of like the, I'll hold your hand through this thing. Don't you worry. I got it covered. Okay. That sounds really scary. You're sending me back to the place where people already know of me and want to kill me. And then I've got a question for you. Who are you? You say I'm to lean on you? What about my people who already know this? And I walk back and I say, hey, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they say, well, what's his name? I, go, I don't know. I didn't think to ask that. So God, I'm asking that. What's your name? What should I call you? And he answered to me, not once, not twice, but three times over. His first answer, he said, I am that I am. Now, I had actually asked, what should I tell them? But he's telling me who he is. I am that I am. Okay, I understand. I'm a little confused by the verbiage, but I think I get what you're saying. And then he says, tell them this. The I am has sent me. And then you tell them this. The Lord, Yahweh, has sent me the God of your fathers, and you are going to be released. Furthermore, take the elders and give them this plan, and it will go as the following. And he had this listed detail of everything that should happen. And when he got done, I basically had three more questions for him. I'm telling you, I was not in a position to listen to what he had to say. He had to kind of warm me up to this new plan, but he was patient. He was patient. He knew me. He knew me personally. He came after me, and he was coming to help his people. That is the great I am, our God. That's the story of Exodus chapter 3 that Moses captured for us so that we could learn through his eyes what it must have looked like and felt like to be introduced to God himself. Now, there's a question being answered in this passage for us, which is simply this. 
if I am meeting a personal God who is reaching out to touch me and spend time with me, how should I respond? What should my behavior be like given that I have the privilege of meeting the great I am? You know, as we go into this passage, I want to make sure now, let's look at a few points. We can always take a look at a passage and we can just learn facts. And if we walk away and all we've done is learn facts, then we've known of him. But we need to know him personally and respond to him, okay? So the first point that uh, I've got here is look for evidences of God. Look for evidences of God. In the first six verses, Moses is walking along, truly rather busy with his own life, rather wounded in his own world, just sort of thinking through things, saying, eh, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to be doing here in life. And as he goes along, he stops and he sees an event happening. He's looking for the evidences of God. A few phrases I want to bring out. In the first verse, now Moses was keeping the flock. We're supposed to hear menial task, slave's job, somebody else's job, He's actually watching somebody else's sheep, not his own. Whose? They were his father-in-law's. Jethro. Now, if you actually read closely, this is the first time we're introduced to the name Jethro. The first time we're introduced to his uh, father-in-law, it's in the prior chapter, it's Reuel. It's a different name. So Jethro has changed his name. We can only surmise as to why. Maybe he has this guy come in. I mean, you can imagine what Moses must have looked like, right? He's in Egypt, in Pharaoh's kingdom. He's probably dressed just like we've seen the Egyptians dressed, right, in the pictures. Close your eyes, picture that, right, the robes, all the rest. And he's coming up and he's meeting Jethro's daughter and marrying her. And he's thinking, God is providing. And that's really what the name means, Jethro. It's about blessing and provision. Apparently, he's decided to change his name and adjust because he's got a great son-in-law. He's at least watching my sheep. At the end of verse 1, we've got a little foreshadowing. Moses says, We came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The mountain of God. This is the place where I met him. That's what Moses is saying. He's the author of this book. He's looking back as he's recording, and he's like, This was an unbelievable place, Horeb. Now, actually, it's the same name as Mount Sinai. Okay? This is the same place. And when God says, you will come back here and I will give you a sign, he says that a little bit later here to Mount Sinai. This is when Moses returns with a million plus people and all of the animals and the gold and the silver. God gave a sign. Can you see how well I work? A million people. The last time you were here, a bunch of sheep bleeding and crying. This time, a bunch of people bleeding and crying. But a million people, right? Now in verse 2 we see, the angel of the Lord appeared. Angel of the Lord. We have to be really careful with this. Is this just an angel? Or is this God himself? A lot of times when you see angel of the Lord, it means God himself. A theophany. God showing up in visible form. Angel of the Lord. But in this case, the passage actually answers for us. If you go forward to verse 4, it says, When the Lord saw that Moses had turned aside to see him, God called to him out of the bush. So the angel of the Lord is in the bush, and then God calls to him out of the bush. God, angel of the Lord, is in the bush. 
meeting Moses face to face, okay? We fast forward and Moses says, I must turn aside, I will turn aside to see this great sight. And that's the key of this core paragraph. When you're going along in your daily life, are you keeping your eyes peeled for the Almighty? Or are you just busy about everyday work? Did you miss him? He's here and he's active. He is seeking out relationship. He wants to make an impact. What is the hand of God doing in and around your life today? Turn aside and see this great sight. Be amazed. He's at work. The best thing we can do is look for those evidences of God in our life. You know, we were at a, a retreat this last week. C.J. Mahaney was speaking. He talked about it of the evidences of God. Look for the evidences of God everywhere you go. All too often, we look for what's broken. We need to look for God at work. As we look for God at work, and we look for his hand in it, we will be consistently amazed by him. Seek to have a relationship with him by looking for the greatness of God in your daily life. He's there. Oh, he's there. What's he doing? What is he doing? Now Moses was addressed very, very personally with his name, Moses. God knows his name. He didn't say, hey you, get over here. Maybe this is a guy I can work with. It was specifically designed for Moses with Moses' personal name involved. Did you know that God knows your name and he knows every detail about you? God is passionate about you. Look for how he's at work in your life. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not a world that revolves around you. I'm reading a book called Cat and Dog Theology. Have you heard of this? Okay. So, right, so what a, a dog, you feed him, you care for him, you pet him, and the dog says, you must be God, you love me. And a cat, you feed him, you pet him, you love him, and they say, I must be God, you care for me. Right? <laughs> right. Cat and dog theology. Okay, question, where are you at with God? You feed me, you care for me, you love me personally. I must be God? Or you must be God? Thank you for your passion in my life, Lord. Go after the dog theology. Look for the evidences of God in your life and go after it. Look for the evidences of God and go after it. All right? At the end here, we are informed that God Almighty is talking to Moses and Moses says, I must hide my face. Looking for the evidences of God. You know, this is an Old Testament truth, but a New Testament truth just the same. Romans 5.8. God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ, the same now as he was then, passionately seeking us out even before we've accepted him. God demonstrates his love toward us. 50 years ago, Russia, there's petty theft going on in this prison camp. And they can't quite figure out what's going on. It's kind of a low security prison camp, but they can't figure out what's going on. And all these little things are being taken all the time. And so they post a guard at the gate. And that guard, as the people are going out to go back to where they live at night, as they're coming out, the guard checks them. And Petrovsky, one of these men, comes walking up 
wheelbarrow filled with bags of stuff. And he's just walking up to the gate. And the guard goes, come on, Petrovsky, I know you're a troublemaker. What is it you're taking? And he goes, just sawdust. And he goes, I don't believe you. Check. So he opens the first bag on the top, and it's all sawdust and wood chips, right? And so the guard's like, he's not stupid. Okay, what are you hiding underneath it? So he opens up every single bag and dumps them all out. All of it, sawdust. What do you need this for? Just taking it to my house. Taking it to the place where I stay. Right. We'll go ahead and clean it up. So he puts it all back in the bags, loads it up, takes it home. Next day, same thing. Here comes Petrovsky again. Wheelbarrow full of bags, walking up. Checks the bags over and over again. This goes on for two weeks straight. The guard finally says to him, look, I'll let you go one more time. I have no idea what you're taking. Tell me what you're taking, and I'll let it go today. Whatever it is, just tell me what you're taking. And he looks at him and he says, wheelbarrows. <laughs> Sometimes the evidence is so obvious <laughs> that you look right past it, right? God is at work in your life. Don't miss the wheelbarrows of God at work in your life because of the problems, because of the junk, because of the noise, because of the busyness. Don't miss it. God is at work in your life. He knows you personally. He loves you deeply. It's the wheelbarrow. Don't start looking at the sawdust bags. Let it go. Look at them and dive in deep. Turn aside to see this great sight. Turn aside to see this great sight, okay? Where is God at work in your life? Find it. Looking for evidences of God. Second, obey the call. Obey the call of God. You know, Moses had a nice little chat with God here. He spent a little bit of time meeting with him, and in the midst of meeting with him, he learned some things. So let's just walk through this, okay? We'll just walk through it narrative flow. We're not going to pull it out and organize it. We'll just walk through it as he says it. Verse 7. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. God is fully aware. That's what we have going on here. God is fully aware, okay? If you actually look back at the end of chapter 2, verse 23, look what it says there. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. What cries did he hear? The cries of the people in suffering. That's what's being heard, okay? He's hearing their affliction. He's hearing their suffering. What is God's plan? Verse 8, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up. That's my plan. I'm coming in, I'm pulling them out, and I'm bringing them over here, and I'm taking them to a land flowing with milk and honey. It is salvation time for them. I'm bringing them out. That's the plan. Now, we can read this passage and we can go, that's what our God is about. Our God is all about the salvation element. So you know what? What we need to do is we just need to pray and he'll take us out of our tough spot. That's kind of a bad theology, okay? We need to be really careful because what we also have to remember is this is 400 years of slavery and then God decides it's time. 
Our God is not most impressed with our comfort. He is most impressed with our heart. He is calling us to him. And he deemed that this moment, 400 years later, was the time to bring him glory, to show off his power, and to bring their hearts in line with him. Let's not read this passage and say, God promised me no suffering. Because you know what will happen? As soon as we are suffering, we start thinking, he must not love me. Our theology starts breaking down fast. This is not a promise of no pain. This is not a promise that if I just ask, he'll deliver me. This is a promise that no matter what, as Moses asks here, how, what, what about me? How do I do this? And God says, I will be with you. That's the promise of this passage. When we are called, whatever it is we are called to, sometimes to suffering, sometimes to salvation, but whatever it is we are called to, in the midst of it, I am with you. That's the promise from this passage, okay? If we look carefully at this, he says in verse 10, he's given the plan now, I'm delivering and I'm bringing out. We go to verse 10. Come, I will send you. I can't imagine how those words shivered down Moses' spine. Oh man, I'm not going back to that place. He ran because he thought he was going to die. Come, I have a plan for you. Go back to the place where you thought you were going to die. That's my plan. Are you good with this plan, Moses? Not so good. Come on, we can do this. I'm not sure we can do this. Who am I? Why would you work with me, right? That's his next answer. Who am I? I at least appreciate that Moses started with himself. He could have started out accusatory. Who are you? At least he starts with himself. I'm not really thinking very highly of me today. I'm kind of in a low self-esteem day, God. Could you work with me a little? Because I'm not really seeing the picture right now, right? That's what he's saying. I'm not getting it. And in the midst of it, God says, look, I will be with you and this will be your sign. And then he explains a sign. Now, I got to be honest with you. If I'm Moses and he says, this is your sign that I am God and I'll be with you, I would want the sign here. Like, and here's the sign. Well, a burning bush is a good start. That's a good start, you know. Maybe he could make uh, a unique cloud pattern that spells my name or, you know, something. Give me a sign right here. God says, here's your sign. When it's all done, it will have worked. Okay, you're not really instilling confidence at the moment, God. I'm worried about this plan. And he says, the plan is go in there. And when you get back, you are going to be amazed because a million people plus are going to be all over this mountain, surrounding it, ready to worship me. That's the plan. That's the sign. I will be with you. Are you ready? You know, all too often when we get the command, when we get the call of God, our answer is to go, hmm, who, me? Who, you? Whatever we can think of, any question we can come up with, let's hold off on that, please, God. That's a bit of a stretch. I got to be honest with you. When God calls you, he's going to stretch you. He's not calling you to the easy day. He's calling you to a stretch. Why? Because he wants to grow you to be more like him. 
it's going to be a challenge. You're going to need to lean on him. If you're saying to yourself right now, I'm in a spot that's really soft. No real problems. Things are going pretty well. I'm really happy for you. (laughs) But I got to tell you, God is ready to bring you to a higher level then. He's preparing you. He's letting you get a comfort level so that you can begin to trust him. But he is going to call you. What is he calling you to? It might be something simple, like stepping out and serving in the church in various ways. What ministry can I help with? How can I get plugged into the children's ministry and serve there and love on these kids? How can I get plugged into a worship environment or with the ushering? Or It might be something simple like that. And that's enough stretch for you. That's fine. Wherever you are, God is going to take you a next step. And his answer is, I will be with you. He might ask you to pack up everything you own, sell your house, and move two and a half hours south. (laughs) We can speak to that call. You know, God does have a plan, and it involves being with you. My question to you is this. Do you trust that he is compassionate? Do you trust that he knows you and loves you? Do you trust that he has your best in mind? Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16. This is the God of the New Testament. For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Our God, all over helping us. That's who he is. A great and high priest, Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. Jesus of the New Testament is God of the Old Testament, one and the same, to be totally relied on, totally trusted in. You know, we are in the story and we have not even gotten to God's name yet. Moses is being wooed in. And the first challenge was, look at the evidences of God. The second is, obey the call of God. What is he calling you to do? Have you spent time with him? He's going to be asking you to step up somewhere. What is he asking you to be transformed in? What is he asking you to step out in? Is it something you need to do in your personal walk with him? Being with him more regularly? Is it something you need to do with your family? Sharing boldly of your passion for Christ? Yeah, they'll think I'm a little weird but I'm going to share with them what impact he's making. Is it getting involved in the local church here? Serving, making an impact in others' lives. What is it that God's calling you to do? Is he prepping you for ministry? Full-time, missions, something. What is it God's calling you to? Get ready to hear it. Be ready to open to it. He wants to wow you in ways you've never imagined and show you the million people around the mountain when it's all done. What is it God's calling you to do? Are you ready to embrace it with him? Are you ready to set down the, who am I? Put it down. It's time to respond to him. So first is look for the evidences of God. Second is obey the call of God. And the last one is trust in the character of God. Trust in the character of God, okay? If we look at this last piece, 
This is where Moses finally gets introduced fully and formally to God Almighty. Moses says to God in verse 13, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Does this seem like a lame question to you? I mean, are you thinking, What is your name? Okay, fine, burning bush and all, and you know my name, and I've never met you, and all, all that stuff's great, but what, what can I call you? At first, we might go, that seems like a really simple question. But you know, in that culture, the name was everything. In the Egyptian culture that Moses came out of, you named someone according to what you expected of them. What Moses is asking here is, what is your character? That's what he's asking. When he says, what is your name? What is it that I can trust in with you? That's why God answers the way he does. What is it you can trust with me? Let me tell you. Are you ready? He says, I am who I am. Right before, uh, what is that? Right before verse 12, or right before verse 15. He says, I am who I am. Why did he answer so authoritatively with Moses? Because Moses was asking a question that was asking what his character was. And he answered back, let me tell you, I'll answer that question. The answer is this. And in the Hebrew, he basically is piecing together two verbs here. And it's basically saying this. It's a verb to be, a verb to be. So the translation is, I am who I am. Or I will be who I will be. Both of those are valid interpretations. It really is this. Trust in me. I change not. That's what he's really saying. Okay? And then he goes on and he gives two more answers. Say this to the people. I am has sent me. Again, this is the verb to be. I am has sent me. So it's kind of a strange structure. And I'm sure Moses is going, I'm sure I'm going to be learning from this. I'm, learn I'm trying to figure it out. But then he gives a name. In verse 15, he says, the Lord. Do you see that? In, in your Bibles, it probably has capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Do you see that? All caps. Okay, what the, what the translators tried to do is, anytime the name Yahweh is used, they put it all caps. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So when you're reading the Old Testament and you see all caps, personal name of God was used. That's what's going on. Now, in Hebrew, we would look at it and we wouldn't even be able to recognize it. So what they did is they translated it over and instead of the, the Y sound, they put a J. And instead of the H, the hey, they put an H literal for us. So it's J-H-V-H. -H, and then they put some vowels in there and they made it Jehovah, right? So have you heard the name Jehovah before? That's where it comes from. It is the name Yahweh converted over into English letters. Jehovah, okay? So when you hear things like Jehovah or Jehovah Rapha or Jehovah Jireh, these are names we're going to be going over in the next few weeks. That is the personal name of God in the English form, okay? Jehovah. What does the name mean? It means I am. That's basically what it means. Six things that we can take from this, okay? I wrote them down. Six things that we can get from the name I am. Here we go. Number one, he's real. He is real. In other words, he's saying, I exist. That's part of what he's saying. I am. I exist. 
okay? Number two, from eternity past to eternity future. No beginning, no end. I exist, number one, from eternity past to eternity future, number two. Number three, there is no dependence in me. I have no dependence. I am completely self-sustaining. In other words, he's not saying this. Moses, I need you to do this. Please, Moses, I need you to do this. I can't get this done without you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I can get this done, but I'm choosing to work through you so that you can learn. Are you ready? No dependence in God. He is completely independent. That's the third one. Number four, he is the source of all life. When you say, I am, you're existing, and out from you comes the rest of all of life. The source of all life. Number five, he does not change. He's not saying, I am today, tomorrow, I might be something different. He's saying, I am forever. I do not change. Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord your God, I change not. Right? That's who our God is. So what's the sixth point? Great summary. He can be trusted. That's what it's all about. The I am. If we meet him face to face and we get to know him in his independence, but his passionate love to come into our lives, if we get to know him as a God who is the source of all life and reaches into our own life and he does not change, now we've begun to grasp who Moses just met. That is the great I am. You know, we can look at the God of the Old Testament and we can see the great I am in these six things that we just learned. What about Jesus, though? So real quickly, John chapter 8, verses 48 to 58. We're only going to look at one or two verses there, but here's what's going on. The Pharisees are questioning Jesus. They're saying, come on, you don't even know what you're talking about. You're talking about this Abraham thing as if you know him. And Jesus responds in John 8, 58. Before Abraham was, I am. And then the Pharisees reached down to pick up stones. Now, why would... Think about this for a second. Before Abraham was, the correct grammar would be, before Abraham was, I was. So apparently they were really upset with the grammar... And so they picked up stones to kill him. No bad grammar around here, right? No. It's because he took the personal name of God. Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus just claimed the personal name of God for himself. Don't ever let anybody tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God. John 8, 58. Before Abraham was, I am. And in the midst of them picking up stones to stone him, it was not his appointed time to sacrifice, so he was able to escape away. John eight fifty eight, Jesus himself, the I am. Is he compassionate as the I am is? Yes. Does he care to deliver as the I am does? Yes. It's a perfect alignment. The character traits of the I am completely meted out in Jesus Christ. Our God in the flesh. Welcome to the I Am.
you know, my question for you is simply this. Do you know, do you know who he is and do you trust in him? Just a, just a four-second story. We really don't have a lot of time for this, so I'll just tell you this fast, okay? Monday, we get a bid on our house. We're trying to sell a house up near Naperville, Chicago area. Move down here, right? Monday, we get a bid. Wednesday, we get notification of another person interested in bidding. So we're working the one bid up and trying to get it into a reasonable level. And now we get a second bid that comes along. And that's great. God's working, right? And they say, well, we want to see the house under traffic and all that stuff, so they want to come over and see it, which is fine. So they come over the next day during a 3 o'clock time frame to see what it's like after school. They go that night to pen out a bid for the house. And in the moment where he's picking up the pen, I'm not joking, in the moment where he's picking up the pen to pen down his name on the bid, his back goes into massive seizures, apparently his arms too, like, like this big muscle con- contraction thing that won't stop. He drops the pen and screams in pain. They take him to the ER. He ends up there for six hours. They end up checking him into the hospital. They don't know what's going on. They still actually don't know what's going on. So they basically told us, we're not going to bid on a house right now. We have some more important things going on. We understand, right? So we decide we'll just accept where we're at with the other party. We call them up and say, we're willing to accept the bid where you are. Let's go ahead. So we get a call back saying, well, he can't really talk to you right now. He's in the hospital. Yeah, we put both our people in the hospital for trying to bid on the home. So we're freaking out. I mean, I got to be honest, you know, and it, it, was really getting to, it was getting to my wife pretty badly. I mean, we're at a point like, is anybody going to be able to really bid on this house? What's happening? What's God doing? Last night, we're talking on the way to, down here and, and uh, chatting through some things and uh, came to some resolution on some things based on what I'm preaching today and being able to trust in God and things like that, you know, and obeying the call and Yes, we're driving to Peoria. We're doing the obeying part. Maybe not with the best attitude, but we're doing it. And, uh, and, and then we're starting to reel in on what's happening. And we had a great prayer moment. Four minutes after Jonna prays, just to ask for forgiveness in general where we're at, we get a phone call. And the first bidder has come out of the hospital and then has woken up and is really willing to bid. And so they closed out and we signed on a contract last night. So we have sold our house in Naperville. <laughs> Yeah. You know what? It, we only put two people in the hospital, so it wasn't that bad. Things went well. <laughs> Trust in the character of God. Look for him at work in your life. Obey the call. He's calling you. Is it to move? Maybe not. Is it just to get involved locally? Is it just to speak up with your family or friends? Is it to be more consistent in knowing him? What is it he's calling you to do? Step up. You will be amazed. And trust in his character, the great I am. He has picked up the pen and he is ready to sign his signature on your heart of who he is, completely trustworthy. That is our God, compassionate and completely trustworthy. Reach out to him. He wants to rock your life.